All right. Let's, uh, where did we leave off last time? I, when we're talking about truth, let's go to John 14. This is probably the most known scripture, right? One of the popular ones. People know John 3.16 and stuff like that. And generally, if you hang around long enough, you'll hear this one quoted. John 14, verse... Well, let's just start with verse 1. And we'll read a few verses. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Which is a lot different than what he had said to the Jews, uh, the ones that did not believe him, believe on him a couple chapters earlier. He says, where I'm going, you can't follow me. You're, and then he went on to say, you're going to die in your sins, and, and where I go, you cannot go. It's not what he ended up saying to them, because at the end of chapter 13, he says, I'm going away, and that, like I said to the Jews, I'll say to you, uh, you can't follow me yet, <laughs> is what he told them. And then he gets into this famous passage that says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Let not your heart be troubled, and I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you're also going to be. So it was a lot different message for the believing than as opposed to the unbelieving. And... and we have to we have to search ourselves to see which one we, which which people we identify with more because the message is different for each one he says whither i go you know and the way you know and thomas said unto him lord we don't know where you're going how can we know the way <laughs> basically i'm skipping the king james english there but he says oh, i don't know we don't know where you're headed and we don't know how we're going to get there and jesus answered jesus says to him I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. From henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? So we're talking about the subject of truth, right? And uh, we, after we got through some introductory remarks, I'm just going to uh, go back over a little bit. Uh, we began talking about what is truth, the metaphysical question. Uh, we're looking for ultimate reality. We're, fought to, we're the really real, or as uh, they would, what underpins everything. What is the first cause, the reason it all is, and the final cause, also the purpose or the reason for which it exists. Um, and when we're talking about deciphering reality, we're not just talking in material terms, like things you can see and touch and taste and uh, the things that you can sense, uh, things that you can measure or quantify or count or things of that nature, but also the things you can't see, the things you can't measure, the immaterial realities, like the laws of logic. Uh, 
uh, thought, intelligence, love. Uh, these are these are just as real and just as a part of our experience and need to be answered just as much. But they're heavily personal, and they tell us that there is a personal aspect of reality. And then we talked a little bit about about just the personal nature of truth, that there aren't just these dangling facts out there, random facts floating around, but they're all connected. And, the, and it involves us knowing them, but it also involves... The mind of God, a mind revealing those things. Just if, just if we found something simple like a letter uh, that was written, uh, "Honey, pick up the pick up the groceries on the way home" or something, we know that that's one mind communicating with a. It wasn't just a random letter that was. It, it was it was one mind communicating with another. And when we come to the so there aren't these, these just random facts like two plus two equals four that exist independently for no reason at all. Or the laws of logic, like we talked about the law of non-contradiction that Aristotle talked about. Uh, these aren't just random things, but they are revealing a mind to us. And there is a mind communicating with us. We are a knower. There is a thing to be known, and there is someone that has communicated all these things, that has, been, that has made themselves known, and that is what we call God. And, I, and we're not trying to settle with that, but we, we anytime we interact with the fact that there is knowledge, there is truth out there to be known. We are already swimming in a personal world where God is communicating. Uh, and, to, and to say otherwise is to say, that well, there's these random facts that exist for no reason and, and for no purpose, for, with no first or final cause, and that doesn't make sense uh, at all. So then we went through a little bit of a history of how truth and culture related. We went from paganism uh, to uh, what we what I called pre-modernism, which is Christian thought, this idea that there is a God that has made himself known. So therefore, there is certainty. Uh, there is uniformity in nature. Things behave in a certain way, and they can be known in a certain way. They are repeatable. They are scientifically discoverable because there is certainty in a world because the rules of logic and all these things that exist, the re that they exist because they reflect an orderly God. Uh, uh, an intelligent God who has ordered all things according to his own will uh, and as a reflection of himself. Um, and there was not only a certainty of the world around us, but there is also mystery <laughs> because you and I are never going to really understand this God. Uh, this God is greater, transcendent, though transcendent is the word that we may use, uh, than anything that you and I can wrap our mind around it. And this God has made himself known. How, would God, how does God make himself known? Eventually we're going to talk about the idea of miracles. Um, this, 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 idea, this idea that God does ex extraordinary things to make himself known. And we're going to kind of talk about that today when we talk about Christ revealing God to us. Um, which is ultimately where I, where, where I, as a Christian in my apologetic, I want to lead to talking about the reality of Christ. Uh, so we went from pre-modernism to modernism. That's uh, Descartes comes along and says, "I think, therefore I am." Uh, he, his his knowledge, his his own thoughts became the standard by which we know things, and uh, we don't need God to know anything. We don't need God as a starting point for our knowledge, is what modernism says. Uh, or uh, we can 
we can discover truth for ourselves, by ourselves, by our experience, i.e. science, or by our, by our thoughts, i.e. philosophy. We can figure it all out ourselves. And what did we figure out is we couldn't figure it out. Um, all, modernism has led to a lot of disaster, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of terrible things. And it led ultimately to a despair. Once you, once you gave up on the idea that God was a starting point for all knowledge, the first and final cause, and you made man the sum of it, well, what is man? He's a sinner who wants what he wants and was willing to rationalize everything he can to get what he wants. And we, the end of modernism was a very brutal, brutal thing. Um, we see vestiges of it now, but ever since the advent of uh, philosophers like Hegel and Darwin and Marx, uh, we've given up on the idea of truth for the idea of progress. And inevitably, we've reached postmodernism. There is no starting point. There is no knowledge. There is no meta-narrative that explains all things. There is no voice from the outside that tells us what really is. There's just us, and we make our own truth. And what I believe is not is true for me, but it's not true for you. And And then we get this cultural thing where... Where uh, where we where, where you have the the group narrative becomes truth. You uh, you know we have Christians over here. They got their narrative, and we got the they got this group over here. They got their narrative, and all postmodernism is all about that battle for the narrative. Because if I say something is true, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to have power over you. Uh, I'm trying to enslave you or something like that. That's the language of postmodernism, and every every truth claim is is met with suspicion. If I propagate the gospel, then I'm not I'm not doing it out of love for anybody's soul. I'm doing it because I want to be in charge or something to that effect. And we see that we see postmodernism in our news media. Uh, you watch Fox News and they and they're spinning everything this direction, and then you turn on CNN, they're spinning everything in the other direction, and and there is nothing. It doesn't even matter if what they say is true. What matters is is the power that it exerts, that it exerts, right? And that's the postmodern Lord. But that's not reality. The reality, again, is that God has spoken, that God has revealed himself in the things that he has made. I want to read what Paul said about it in Romans. And I think I read this the other day, and if, and, and, uh, if so, please forgive me. I'm, I'm a one-trick pony, and I'll just repeat myself often. So uh, Paul said in Romans, he says, Verse uh, 20, he says, For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Uh, so that, so that uh, and it goes on and says, so that they are without excuse, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, they became vain in their imaginations, and so on and so forth. Uh, but everybody, Paul is saying everybody already knows God's there. Uh, someone said, I don't believe in atheists. God doesn't believe in atheists. According, if, they take, if, if you take it for granted what Paul said here, is there, there is no such thing as an atheist. There is no such thing as a person who, who, who knows there is no God. Everybody, according to Paul, does know. They have clearly seen it in creation. They understand it by the things that are made. Um, 
like I, I, we talked about DNA before. How you know what DNA is? It's it's actually an alphabet in it. It's a four letter alphabet in there that 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 tells everything about how to make you. <laughs> it's all information at the basis of it, and that's that, that's the language of God in creation. We go back to Genesis one one. How did He start every day of creation? With three little words. Or Moses described creation with three little words. Every day of creation started with, and God said. That's it. I mean, it didn't say that it didn't have a fantastic story. Isn't it amazing that that's exactly how it is? You get down to the very cells of your body, there's information there. You get down, you get down to the very tiniest quarks that exist in, in, in the nucleus of the atom. There's information there. There's mathematical language. There, there is information everywhere. And the, crea- and the Bible 4,000 years ago had already described creation as the infusing of information into all things. God spoke. We clearly understand it and we know it. But we don't leave it there. Romans chapter 1 is just the beginning of Romans. He goes on to say to talk about uh, our guilt and everything else like that. But ultimately he says at the end of it all, but there's Jesus. And that's what Paul, Jesus himself was saying there in John 14. He says, I'm the truth. I am the truth. And what do we mean by this? Uh, we finished off last time I was quoting, uh, quoting G.K. Chesterton where he said, uh, God is like the sun. We can't, really, we can't really look into the sun, but without the sun we can't really see anything else. <laughs> so there's a lot of truth there. Uh, without God, but with God, with the knowledge of God, we can see everything clearly as well. And But even though we cannot necessarily look right into the sun and, and comprehend the sun and say, ooh, look at the sun. <laughs> but, but we, and God is like that to a certain extent. God, I, the Christian starts with this fundamental basis that God has indeed revealed himself. He's revealed himself in nature, but most of all, he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the truth? Well, I'm going to give you three things real quick, what this means. First of all, it means that he is the revealer of God. He reveals God to us. Uh, My Jehovah's Witness friends will always want to debate this, but it's clearly stated here in the book of John, going back to John chapter uh, 1. It says this. Says in the beginning was the word. I'll get there eventually, but in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. They they say it should be translated the word was a God, not really completely God, but something less than God that we can call a God. But that's not how it goes. In fact, uh, I'm not getting into the Greek part of it, but but that's how it says it. The word was God. Now who's the word? Well, we just celebrated Christmas, right? <laughs> what were what were you we were celebrating a baby born? But what what does that what does that mean? What what, what was it all what what was it all supposed to have purported? Well, it explains it here in this very same context. And the Word was made flesh. Why does it, Why do we call him the Word? Why why is it Why is it called 
Christ the Word, and it goes on and says, The Word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten Son. Uh, when we're talking about when we celebrated Christmas, we were celebrating that very God, the one that was with God and was God. And now, don't ask me to explain the Trinity. <laughs> I'm just going with the biblical data that there are there there is there is something in the Bible declared. There is one God, right? You can go from cover to cover. New Testament, Old Testament says there's one God, but yet it says there's three persons that are called God. Now, we make sense of that biblical data. We call that the Trinity. We worship Jesus as God. We were, the, the, they, he received worship from his disciples. And even though he said to the devil back in Matthew 4, he says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve or worship. Same word. Uh, but yet he received worship from Mary. He received worship from the disciples. No angel of God would do that. He was God. I'm, I, I don't have a good analogy for the Trinity, but I can take the biblical data and say that Jesus Christ was indeed God in the flesh. God made flesh. And he revealed God. Here in John 1, it also goes on and says this. Now I had my, one of my one of my uh, seventh graders a couple of years ago when I was teaching a Bible class over at the Christian school argue this point, but it says no man has seen God at any time. What's that mean? Nobody's seen God, right? Uh, no, nobody's comprehend, comprehended him. That's why I wanted to warn you all a little bit about. Don't don't take that as you're doing your step work and stuff that uh, that you can create a God that you can understand or that you can that God's going to be someone you can. No man is no man has completely comprehended the infinite. Just like I can't start with one, two, three, four, and count to infinity. Right? I'm finite. I'm never going to get there. I'm not going to wrap my mind around an infinite God. I'm his. No man has seen God at any time, but God, but we can know something about what God has revealed himself to be. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us, is what Moses said um, in Deuteronomy. But he says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. How do we know God? We know God because of Christ. In fact, if no man has seen God at any time, who did Abraham see? If no one has seen the Father, who did Abraham see? <laughs> he saw Jesus. Who did Isaiah see in Isaiah 12 where, or Isaiah 6 where it said the angels are flying around saying, Holy, holy, holy. And he saw the Lord God Almighty lift high and lifted up and his train filling the temple. And he fell upon his face and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Who did Isaiah see? Well, John 12 says he saw Jesus. He saw the Son before the Son was ever born. Jesus didn't have to be born to get here. He was always here. He was always the one revealing God. He was always he was the he was the one that, re, that revealed himself to Samson's family. He was the one that he, he was always the one declaring God. Uh, so alt, that ultimately came to an apex in history where that God that's that the son. By the way, when we say son, we meet. We're saying, you know, when he said he was the son of God, they picked up stones to stone him. Why did they do that? 
because he was declaring himself to be the son of God, of the very nature of God. If I have a child, I, I'm a human. If I have a child, what kind of nature is that child going to have? A human. Uh, if a dog, if that dog, Dottie, right, is all right, if she has a baby, I don't know if she's past childbearing years or not. What kind of what kind of nature? What what? Oh, she's fixed. Well, now, well, that's terrible. No puppies. And, but if, but if she was by some miracle going to have some some puppies, what kind of nature would those puppies have? Hers. Hers. A dog nature. Now, God doesn't change, but we we talk about the eternal the eternal begetting of the Son. When did the, when did the Father become a Father? Well, He's always been the Father, and the Son has always been in the bosom of the Father, uh, and. And that's why they picked up stones to stone him. By saying he was the son of God, he was saying he was the same nature as God, that he was from the Father in that, in that sense. And that's why it was, a, it was considered, in fact, that's why they killed him, right? We were talking about that when we were talking about Mark 1.1, the gospel of the son of God. That is, that is the truth of what happened. But he is the revealer of God. See, Philosophy and everything I could say about philosophy will never get you to the God of the Scriptures. Uh, that you you can you can study Aristotle all day long, and all, all you're going to end up with is the prime mover, something somewhere. You could study Plato, and all you're going to get is there's this world of forms out there that has nothing really to do with us, and doesn't affect us at all. But it's out there, and you end up with a God out there that you can't really talk about, you can't really know. But that's not the God of the Scriptures. The God of the Scriptures has been making himself known, and ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so, so the God of the Scriptures is different than the God of philosophy. Uh, the God of the Scriptures is the self-revealing God, and it makes sense because you and I can talk about God in a very real way. We could talk about God making himself known in mathematics and God making himself known in biology and God make, making himself known in the scriptures and in history and in time and space and in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's a world that makes sense to us because that is the nature of God. Or as Francis Schaeffer said, he is there and he is not silent. He has spoken. He has revealed himself. And he has revealed himself always in Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ also said here in John 14... That he is the means for us getting to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. We're going to talk about what this means here in a second. Uh, but the real story of Christmas is a story of reconciliation. We were enemies. We were sinners. We were separated from God because of our sin. But because of Christ, we have peace through the blood of his cross. We are reconciled to God through him. There he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Or as Peter says, he died the just for the unjust to bring us to God, to reconcile us. That's, that's what we mean when we say Jesus Christ is the truth, that he is the means by which we know God. There is no other way than him when it comes to knowing God. Uh, God is transcendent in the fact that he is over us. He is ruling over us. He, he is judging us in all things. Jesus Christ has reconciled and made that God known to us in a real and true way. Um, he, what did Jesus do? Everything, everything about Jesus' life declared that he was the Son of God, that he was the revealer of God. 
when he cast out demons in the scripture, he said, he said, if I, by the finger of God, by the spirit of God, cast out demons, and you know the kingdom of God is, is among you, he, he was... The, he was the authority and power of God revealed. He raised the he raised the sick or healed the sick. He raised the dead. He walked on water. He stilled the storm. And even even secular historians like Tacitus and 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 Josephus had to say the truth. Jesus of Nazareth went about doing many mighty works. That's that's secular history written by secular historians from that day. No, they weren't trying to refute that he did any of these things. No one was writing books saying, hey, Jesus never, Jesus never healed the sick. He did in a, in a miraculous way. And then he rose again the third day after they put him on the cross. He's revealed God in all meaningful ways. So he's the truth in that he is the revealer of God. We would never know God if it wasn't for Christ. In that sense, he's the truth. Here's, here's a harder pill to swallow. Y'all don't mind if I, if I give some negative, talk a little negative here for a second. He also reveals our sin. All right? That's a dirty three-letter word. Uh, certain, certain words that no one likes, and one is God and the other is, I mean, I'm not saying no one likes, but they're, they're just great at us. This idea that there's a God and this idea that we're sinners. But he reveals our sin. You would think that if God showed up, you know, I mean, took upon him flesh, that everybody would be raving about it. But when it was all said and done, what they do? They put him on a cross and and spit on him, right? But think about it this way. Um, I want you to put your thinking caps on it and let's go back to school for a second. And then you're all in school, and you have a professor or a school teacher that grades on the curve. You know what I mean by grading on the curve? All right, so for for I, so I, I used to think grading on a curve meant something else, so I'm going to just so explain it. Uh, so let's say that I give a test as a teacher, and everybody gets a 60, and one person gives a 70. All right, so I would consider that 70 to be 100, and everybody else would get a 90. Right, so I'd grade on the curve like that. The, the top score would be it would become the new 100, all right, let's say that I was a teacher and I was uh, I was giving out these tests and everybody was failing them except for Niall. That's right. Everybody was getting like 0%. And Niall was coming in and he was just knocking the ball out of the park. And he was getting 100 on every test. That's what I do. I hate yeah. to think he would. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... Uh, do you all think you'd be happy for now? No, all right. Because what's that doing to your score since he's getting 100 and you're getting zeros? You're jealous. That not only be jealous, they're now going to have nothing but zeros on their grade book, right? So he takes another test. Uh, he gets 100, you all get zeros. Pretty soon, how long do you think it'd be before you start beating him up in the bathroom after school? Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we don't we don't like the overachievers, right? 
We don't. Here comes here comes God in the flesh. Yeah, they they might try, but then they get then they get in trouble. They get kicked out. All right, you know, just not taking this too far. I'm just giving an analogy. We don't like the overachievers. We don't like people showing us up. We don't like people that are that are uh, that are like. But in this in that sense, Jesus Christ, he says, "I've come," and they no longer have a cloak for their sin. He came in perfect in the perfect holiness and perfect justice of God, and what did they do? They hated him. They couldn't stand him, because before then, you know, if I compare myself, now don't 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 get mad at me here for giving this comparison, because I'm not trying to say I'm anything. I'm a wicked sinner, just like everybody else in here. But I'm going to give a man-made comparison. If I compare myself to him right here, you know, I can. If I compare myself to him, uh, I can make myself look pretty good, right? Let's say, look at me. At least I ain't like Josh, right? I, I'm, I mean, I tithe twice a week and I give a vol. I mean, I, I fast and I, you know, I'm, I'm a good feller, right? Now, I probably ain't. I, I probably ain't nowhere near as good as Josh is, but I'm just giving an analogy here. You know, I, if I'm comparing myself with one of you guys or you're comparing yourself with me, you can always just say, well, at least I ain't that doing that, right? But what if I'm compared to Jesus Christ? No compare. No compare. I mean, and, and ultimately, that's... Do you know the... You know, we use the term Pharisee as if Pharisee was a bad thing, right? You and I would call someone a Pharisee because we want to insult them, Right? Maybe I don't know if you all do or not, but if you but if we talk about someone being a Pharisee, that's a negative thing. Back in that day, the Pharisee was the best person you knew. The best person you knew. So so a Pharisee was one that kept the law perfectly. Um uh, Paul himself, who was a Pharisee before he got saved, he says, touching the law, I was blameless. I did everything according to the law. I did everything according to the law. But do you know Jesus Christ said this? He said, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to make it. That's from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. It says you're not going to make you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. But the Pharisee was the best person I knew. You know who hated Christ the most? Pharisees, mm-hmm. right? Because no matter because when he walked in to this to to history, to space and time and all reality, they saw holiness for what it really was. You know, we don't like being around holy people. We don't, for the same reason we want, want we would want Nile getting hundreds while we're getting zeros. <laughs> we don't want that. You know, when I just quoted Isaiah a second ago, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filled the temple, the angels flying around saying, "Holy, holy, holy." You know what Isaiah's reaction is? Depart from me! I'm a, I'm sinful. Peter, one day he was he was casting out uh, he was casting his nets out because he was a fisherman. And he was bringing the and bringing the nets back up, and they were empty. And he was doing that all night. He was a professional fisherman. He knew how to catch fish. 
But Jesus Christ stood on the shore the very next morning and says, cast your net out on the right side, nets out on the right side of the boat. And he says, oh, I've been doing this all night, but nevertheless, Lord, because you told me, I'll do it. And, you know, he casts his net out. What happens? He gets so many fish that his, his nets are breaking, and he has to get help, and, and, and his ship starts sinking because and he, he realized who that really was. And what did he say? Like R.C. Sproul said, hey, let's start a fishing a fishing enterprise together, Lord. We can make a killing. Just We could fish once a week and we can make... No, he fell on his face and said, Lord, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to be near me. I'm sinful. When we see God for who he is, all we can do is see all the spots and stains on us. That's it. We are sinful. Jesus Christ said this. He says, this is the condemnation. We know John 3.16, but go on to John 3.19. This is the condemnation. This is what judges and condemns people. That light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. They won't come to the light because they don't want their deeds to be reproved. How many of you all want to be want to want, enjoy saying these three words, these these three little words. I was wrong. You all like saying that ever? <laughs> I don't like saying it. And I definitely don't want someone else telling me I was wrong. But when we're when we're face to face with Christ, as the Pharisees and the Sadducees of their day was, that's all they could see was they're wrong. I don't have to convince anybody in here that we're sinners. Right? <laughs> I mean, we've proven time and time again. I've been proven Hundred a million times over since I cut grandma's curtains at the age of four until now, I'm wrong. And if I stood before God in my in my sins, but that's what Christ has done. He's the truth. He reveals my sins. He reveals God to me. He reveals sin to me. But I'm thankful for this last one. He also reveals salvation to me. Um. He's the way of reconciling us to God. In Corpus Christi, where I got saved, right above the pulpit of the church, it had it had this little saying on it. It said, "Christ is the answer." And and I was, you know, would laugh and say, "Okay, what's the question?" <laughs> but ultimately, he's the answer to our problem. Two plus two equals four. Two plus two only has one answer, right? Uh, when Jesus says, I am the truth, he was saying, I'm the only answer. I'm the only answer to your problem. And the longer, I don't know if I completely saw this, and I did in a way when I was first saved, when I first bowed my head and I I cried out to the Lord on my own and said, I believe. Uh, I may not have completely, but the longer and longer I I've followed Christ, the more certain I am about this one thing. He is the only answer. People don't like that. They like to think that whatever answer they come up with is just as good as the one God gave, but it's not. Jesus is the only answer to the your and my biggest problem. We're sinners separated from a holy and just God that has been revealed to us through Christ. And Jesus says, I'm the only answer to that problem of sin. And that's that's just the truth of the matter. When Jesus Christ said, I am the truth, he said, and he says, no man comes to the Father but by me, 
he has solved our greatest problem and says it's exclusive. There is no other answer to this 2 plus, four, two, plus 2 equals X problem other than me. I'm a sinner, and there's a holy God, and the only answer to that problem is Christ. And I, and I commend Christ to you as the truth. And I, if, if, I was, if I was here trying to tell you how you could turn over a new leaf and do, and do this or save yourself, and it'd probably be a lot more popular message, but, but this is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen. He was seen of James. He was seen of John. He was seen of the eleven. He was seen of five hundred brethren at once. And Paul said, last of all, he was seen of me. That's the gospel. There's nothing in there about joining the church, getting baptized, saying funny words, lighting candles. All those things are good, probably. I don't know about lighting candles or not. That may or may or not be good. But all those things, all those religious things are good. And if you're saved, you ought to find a group of believers that you can love and you can encourage, and, and you can you you ought to get baptized and say, "This is this is what I trust in: His death, His burial, His resurrection. This is my confession before all men to see." You ought to do those things. But that wasn't the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and he was seen. Nothing you can add to it. Nothing we can take away from it. That's it. And if you believe that, and that, it's it's not if you walk an aisle at church or fill out a card or raise a hand or when or stand up when the preacher says one two three stand up, like I saw at one church, or or uh, or if you do a hundred other things. If you believe Jesus, that's it. If you trusted Christ, that's it. You don't, have, you don't have to trust anything else, just that, that he died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen. And that's enough because that is the answer to the biggest problem that you and I have. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? Not at all. Not at all.